And now, for the first time in color, the 38th Academy Award. And welcome back to The Snub Club. You know, with any truly great motion picture, the only thing that dates it really are the fashions of the time. The podcast with the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. This is the night devoted to one man, Oscar. Hello, and welcome back to The Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I'm your host, Danny Vincent, and I'm here with my friend's friends. Um, I don't know. That joke sounded better in my head. I know, I know what I'm trying to reference in the movie, but I didn't quite get there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, I'm not going to make a joke because I don't think it would be appropriate. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a comedy. It might be. It's a, it's a, we'll um, get into it, but it's a comedy. It's a, well, it's a, okay, fine. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> Rewind. Um, I'm Sarah, and I enjoy being... Your girl host. And I'll be the Rogers to your Hammerstein. I'm Caleb. <laughs> that was a little simple one. But all right. All right. Before we get into this week's movie, this episode, in a way that I'm sure we'll point out is timely in other ways, is dropping the day after the 95th Academy Awards. We'll get into why I'm being very vague about that pretty soon. But that means that we are recording this on March 1st, which is, I believe... 11 days before the Oscars. So, we are going to lock in our snub club guesses, even though the listeners are going to know who won and like what our snub club movie is. They probably follow us on Twitter or Instagram, where I hopefully have done it and possibly forgot to log in. So, <laughs> so anyway, so as a reminder, the nomination, the nomination leaders are at 11, everything, everywhere, all at once. With nine nominations each, All Quiet on the Western Front and The Banshees of Inisherin. With eight nominations, Elvis. With seven nominations, The Fablemans. With six nominations each, are Tar and Top Gun Maverick. With five is Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. With four is Avatar: The Way of Water. With three is a three-way, tie, a four-way tie: Babylon, The Batman, Triangle of Sadness, and The Whale. And at that point, we don't need to say anymore because The Batman and Triangle of Sadness aren't going to win anything. So. <laughs> I said that very confidently. Now now they will both win something now that I've said that. I wish. All right. Should I go first to lock in? Sure. Okay. I think with the BAFTA contingency being what it is, I think previously, I don't remember if I said it or not last time, but I said I thought Banshees could be it because Colin Farrell could lose. I currently think Colin Farrell could lose. Actually, I think Colin Farrell will lose. But that said, I think Banshees will either take original screenplay or supporting actress because of how the BAFTAs like have their contingency. So I no longer think we'll be the Banshees of Inisherin. I think we'll be the Fablements because Daniels won Directors Guild and Spielberg wasn't even nominated at the British Awards. So I, I really don't think director it can get director and I don't think it will. Director was its best shot always. So I think it will be the Fablements. I don't follow the race. I see no reason to change whatever my answer was last time. <laughs> I think it was Banshees, so I'll say Banshees. Um, I do think that the Fablemans will not win anything. 
maybe score if they feel like I they can, could they could give John Williams one last hurrah. I think I think they could give that score. I think score is such a toss-up because I've said this in the last episode. The front runner is obviously Babylon, but it has like no other serious nominations. <laughs> so it's like, what do they give it to? But anyway, go on. I I really feel strongly about this tie, which is to say not a not a positive strong, but I feel strongly about it. I am leaning now towards Banshees. At this point, I think that Austin Butler is a shoe in to win. And if he loses, it'll be to Brendan. It won't be to Colin, in my opinion. Well, let's hope that that doesn't happen. Well, <laughs> someone asked me, what would I prefer? If, uh, if the BAFTA winners repeated or the... Uh, no, no, it was like switching them out. So, because BAFTA... Well, I'll just say, what would you prefer? Which combo would you prefer? Butler and Jamie Lee Curtis winning or Carrie Condon and uh, Austin Butler winning? I'm like, well, in that case, I don't. Really, I didn't really like Butler or Fraser's movies that much. But... I think Jamie Lee Curtis shouldn't be nominated for a role at all. So I will go with the Carrie Condon Austin Butler um, matchup. I just feel like there are so many ways you would take this. I feel like I definitely don't think that Kate Blanchett is going to win. I believe I believe that the acting, besides supporting actress. No, I do believe that supporting actress is locked. I think that all the acting categories are locked. Um, what do you think locked for for the record? So it's because it's funny. Everyone's listening to this knowing who the winners are. But for the record, who do you think won last night? For supporting I, actress? well, as you remember from last night, um, <laughs> Michelle Yeoh won Best Actress. Knock on wood. Um, we don't want we don't want to choose that one. We, we want that one to happen. <laughs> Austin Butler won Best Actor. Um, my silence after that one. Kwan won Best Supporting Actor, and Jamie Lee Curtis. No. no, Angela Bassett won she Best Supporting thing. Actress. She did the thing. She did the. <laughs> Angela Bassett did the thing. Viola <laughs> Davis, my woman king. <laughs> Blanche Kate, you're a genius. <laughs> Jamie Lee, you are all of us. <laughs> Caleb's face is dead, dead fan. I feel like... He's, he's, uh, well, I will remind you guys, Caleb completely ignores the awards circuit, so he has no idea I, what Sarah's doing right now. <laughs> you know, I, I watched Flower Drum Song. You should look up Ariana DeBose's BAFTA rap after this. Um, it'll be a good time. I mean, I can just, I can, I can just perform it if you want. <laughs> Why did she say Blanchett Kate? Why did she say Kate Blanchett? Okay. Um. Anyways, I never have, I have not given an answer. I, I don't know. I feel like Banshees. I might go Banshees. All right. It's really funny because I was really common on Banshees last time. I changed my answer. So we'll see who ate crow. Um. And everyone listening to this will have known by now. So anyway, let's jump back in time and next week of course we will talk about next in two weeks from now we will talk about the actual joiner of the snub club and if anything crazy happens at the oscars again even though i hear they have a crisis team this year so hopefully they'll have it covered um we'll talk about that um 
on our next episode. Because I'm sure if you listen to the one from a year ago, you'll just hear us chatting about Will Smith and how this Which, is complete. By the way, I bet <laughs> you listen back. My opinion has completely changed. <laughs> well, you know, I actually remember your opinion being very adamant. Like, this is terrible. No one should be giving a pass. But now we're all like, Jesus, like these academy just those big Like please, he's apologized. Come on. <laughs> like no one no one cares anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 34th Academy Awards. We'll go through this real quick because I did it last week's episode long last week's episode long. Eleven nominations was West Side Story at 110. Uh number movie for eleven nominations was Judgment at Nuremberg at 1-2. For the movie nine nominations called The Hustler, it won two as well. There was a film called The Guns of Navarone, that had seven nominations. It won one of them. Then there were four films with five nominations. One of them was Breakfast at Tiffany's, which won two, which I'm sure we'll talk about in this episode, along with West Side Story quite a bit. Um, then Fanny, we did an episode on, had five nominations, one. Children's Hour, five nominations, no wins, did an episode on it. And then finally, with five nominations and no wins, is the concluding part of our 34th Academy Awards trilogy, Flower Drum Song. Sarah, what was Flower Drum Song nominated for? I will tell you. However, I will say that this is also a landmark year because you'll notice, you'll notice a pattern with all of the winners. All right. Oh, what's that story? <laughs> Sorry, go on. Go on. So best, so it. it was nominated for Best Art Direction Color for Alexander Golitsyn and Joseph, Joseph C. Wright and Howard Bristol. They lost to Boris Levin and Victor A. Ganglin for West Side Story. Golison was nominated 10 more times and won three. Wright was nominated nine more times and won two. And Bristol was nominated eight more times. Best Cinematography Color for Russell Meddy, who lost to Daniel Alfap for West Side Story. Uh, he won for Spartacus. Uh, Best Costume Design Color for Irene Sheriff. She, of course, lost to Irene Sheriff for West Side Story. Um, Irene Sheriff was nominated 10 more times and won five, including West Side Story. Um, Best scoring of a musical picture for Alfred Newman and Ken Darby. Um, And they lost to Saul Chaplin, Johnny Green, Sid Raymond, and Erwin Coastal for West Side Story. Uh, Newman was nominated 35 more times and won nine. Uh, Darby was nominated three more times and won three. And finally, best sound for Walden O. Watson, who lost to Gordon Gordon E. Sawyer and Fred Hines for West Side Story. Uh, Watson was nominated five more times, and he won three out-of-competition awards. Now, Caleb, before we do historic context, because I think that should lead us straight into the discussion this week, I'm going to give some facts about the ceremony, if that's cool, because I haven't done that yet. So... Another topical thing about this episode that isn't as topical because it's just about the year is that the first fact, fun fact about the 34th Academy Awards is this is the first year that a code, there are two, a directing team won Best Director. The thing that makes this timely is very likely, unless the Fablemans did win an Oscar yesterday, yesterday was the third time that has happened ever. Um, if it did happen for the Daniels. We'll see. Knock on wood again. Um, I assume you guys, I don't even need to play a guessing game. You guys know who the other directing team who won was, right? You guys don't know? They're very, they're a very famous directing team. They're still working today. You guys see? The Wachowskis? No. 
Sorry, I was uh, I was pulling up my uh, my historical context, so I kind of missed the uh, the prompt. Oh, what one? What is the other directing team that won Best Director besides Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins and presumably the Daniels yesterday? Oh, it's the Coens. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's the Coens. Um, Who? <laughs> um, Fellini got his first Best Director nomination, which made Sophia Loren the Loren. first Loren. Sorry. <laughs> I should remember that because she was in the Oscars a couple years ago during the pandemic. And I was very into that Oscar race because it lasted like so long. Um, she's the first. Uh, sorry. Wiki calls her the second performer to win an Oscar for non-English language role. But I'd say she's the first performer to win a foreign language role because the first one was uh, Jane Wyman's performance in Johnny Belinda, which was done with American Sign Language. Um, I don't consider American Sign Language a foreign language. It is an American. This um, this ceremony had someone named Stan Berman, um, who was a New York cab driver, apparently famous for crashing celebrity parties. I don't know how you become a cab driver that's famous for crashing parties. I assume at a certain point, you get fired and arrested for doing that. Well, I could make a joke like, well, what about the Kardashians? <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, <laughs> He evaded security and made made his way on stage to award Hope Bob Hope, the host, a homemade Oscar. Which to me sounds like this might have been a bit, but like, eh, I guess historically, people don't want to call it a bit. Um, Jerome Robbins, in addition to winning Best Director, got an honorary Oscar for his choreography in West Side Story, which I feel like is a little, little silly because his directed. The reason he has the direction credit is because of how important the choreography is in West Side Story. So to me, it's like, eh. Like, you don't need to give him two awards for the same thing. Um, Stanley Kramer won the Memorial Award. Um, uh, I think that's really it. There's not really that much interesting about the ceremony because West Side Story dominated. Caleb, give us some historic context on Flower Drum Song. Absolutely. So Flower Drum Song takes place uh, in San Francisco. Um, and focuses on the uh, Chinese immigrant population. Um, and San Francisco is actually the uh, city in America which has the largest uh, Chinese immigration or <clears throat> Chinese population, Chinese American and Chinese immigrant. And it's been like that for quite a long time. Chinese uh, men started coming over from the uh, Guangdong pro- province. In uh, during the gold rush, and uh, you know there were a lot of opportunities to work in mining and work in railroad construction, and so they came over and started working in those fields, uh, and that's when Chinatown got established, and um, a lot of like very old Chinese businesses in that area were founded. Um, however, as you kind of follow this uh, story of um, Chinese immigration into California, you start to see uh, the um, first signs of America's restrictive immigration uh, laws. Because when America was founded, of course, there were no immigration laws. But uh, as concern over uh, jobs mixed with racism, uh, mixed with sexism, there was uh, a, a good amount of suspicion directed towards Chinese people. And so the Page Act in 1875 stopped women specifically from coming over because 
a lot of uh, women who immigrated over from China ended up doing sex work. Um, and so uh, white people started just seeing all Chinese women as uh, immoral and undesirable. So that was one of the first laws that um, discriminated based on race in terms of immigration. And then, of course, there was the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was, uh, which was signed into law in 1882. And that built off of the Page Act, but um, was more targeted towards uh, men because it was driven by economic insecurity. Eventually, after World War II, because China was our allies, um, the the tide started to turn and you started to see more Chinese immigrants. There was the Magnuson Act, which let more Chinese people come, uh, but there was still a quota. And then eventually in 1965, the Immigration and Nationality Act made it uh, so that you couldn't um, you couldn't discriminate based on race with immigration. Of course, that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of uh, inequalities and racism still in immigration today. Um, however, it has uh, mostly turned away from uh, discrimination towards people coming over from Asia and is, of course, focused on either uh, refugees from, um, from South America or uh, Muslim people coming over. That's really, y'all should probably go and research some more stuff because I just condensed a lot of history into a very small amount of time and I oversimplified a lot of things. And but Caleb, point being... Oh, I was going to say, Caleb did that because this is most likely the only majority Asian cast film we will ever cover on this podcast because, well, a lot of reasons that we will get into. <laughs> yeah, and and this came out around the time that people started to immigrate, immigrating again. So it was a very timely film in that regard. Yeah, so Flower Drum Song. Should we give our thoughts on the movie first, or should we more talk about, not the history of it, but like, you know, this this movie I think has a big elephant in the room with it, which is like why it's in the National Film Registry. Okay, I guess I'll, I'll say that then because everyone got quiet. Um, it's that this is the first majority Hollywood fil- film to feature a majority Asian American cast in an Asian American story. And... After it came out in 1958, sorry, after it came out in 1961, the music came out in 1958, they did not try it. Hollywood did not try again until 1993, Joy Luck Club, and then did not try again until 2018 with Crazy Rich Asians. So, big, big, big thing. I think that's that's a very important, I don't know if cultural, because you gave us historical, I think that's a very important cultural context to view this movie as. Is that since it did not do, it's the only Rodgers and Hammerstein movie musical to not make money. Um, that's partially probably some of the reason where we did not get a majority Asian American cast in a movie. But I also think good old fashioned Hollywood racism is a reason why it took so long since the, to the Joy Luck Club to do it. Now, the gap between Joy Luck Club and Crazy Rich Asians, I always am like, how did that happen? And I don't have an answer for that, obviously, because I did not research it. But yeah. I think that's a very important aspect of talking about this. I'm not, this, do not get it twisted. This is not me defending anything. 
However, well, no, not even however. I think that I feel like Asians in film have always been sort of contentious. I mean, you have like World War II, you have the Korean War, and then you are getting into the Vietnam War. Um, And I just feel like there's always been this disadvantage to having, you know, these predominantly Asian movies. Um, There's just always something working against these actors and these people. And it feels like an easy scapegoat for Hollywood. Because I think for me, like when Crazy Rich Asians came out, I thought it was like honestly kind of astounding that like the majority of the world's people are this race and there's just they're not represented at all. And the thing to me is I feel like that's worth mentioning in this context, which is, of course, this is so I'm going to talk one of the things that annoyed me the most ever when talking like with people online. And this is that's saying a lot is I remember I saw this tweet after Parasite won Best Picture where they're like, the diversity involved of this movie winning Best Picture is insane. I was like, no, you idiot. Like, just because a Korean film has an all-Korean cast does not mean we get to give Hollywood this win of representation because they voted for another country's movie. Like, it's n- Parasite's not a Hollywood movie at all. Um, I mean, I think it's a but, win for representation but, in the sense of, like, well, it's a foreign movie. That What won. I was going to say was, in the early 2000s, this is in my mind because, one, I was actually talking to Caleb about it right before this, but also I just saw the re-release is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon did over $100 million in the U.S. And then the film Hero, whose director's name is escaping me right now, but it's got Tony Leung in it, um, also did, I think it might have also did $100 million. If not, it was like very high up. It was like $80, $90 million. So there was this kick in the early 2000s where Americans were going to see foreign action movies that did not have white people in them and did obviously have a majority Asian cast because they were Asian films. So... But obviously, that does not count when we're talking about Asian American history in cinema. But it's I my mean, point is, those movies came out and American filmmakers weren't like, or American studios weren't like, can we rich, rip off Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? No, they, no one even thought to do that. Or they did. They were like, let's put Jackie Chan in this movie with, you know what I mean? Let's, let's do Rush yeah. Hour again. Or let's I mean, do, people um, love Jackie Chan. I mean, people love Jackie Chan, but he is, well... I don't know. I, I saw that interview he did with uh, no Michelle Yeoh did with uh, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel where she was like, "Yeah, Jackie said, hey, you know they asked me first for that role, right?" And he's and she was like, "Yeah, well, tough, tough cookies, asshole. <laughs> like it's my movie. <laughs> You're lost." Well, I it's really complicated because when we're talking about Asian like movies with Asian American casts and stuff. And then you start to get into like the demographic split because it's like, you know, it's a Japanese American is completely different from a Chinese American, even though there are Japanese American people in this movie playing Chinese parts. Yes. It's in like our relationship with these countries are very different because like Hollywood did a whole campaign to get people more, friendly towards or at least have a more friendly idea towards Japanese people after World War II because automatically Japan Japan switched from like one of our greatest enemies to a very exploitable resource for us. And then like we were super friendly with China in, like after World War II, but now we aren't. They are our main uh their main kind of a uh, rival on the world stage. And so 
And like all of these countries have really interesting and yet the movies. All sorry, yet all the movies catered to China because they want to get a Chinese release. So <laughs> yeah, it's like there's just so much going into this. That I think it's hard to pinpoint why exactly this hasn't been more of a trend, except for of course the obvious thing, which is that you know white people making movies want to make white movies about white people. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, and of course. The reason I was referring to this episode being topical is this episode will come out the day, presumably, I think I want to talk about it like it's locked, but I feel like that's jinxing it, but also a film with a majority Asian cast about Asian American stories won Best Picture probably last night. So, along with many other knock awards, I'm sure. What? Knock on wood. Knock yes, on knock, wood. knock on wood. They'll give, they'll give it to all quiet on the Western Front just because it's the whitest Well, I mean, we can say sadness. that it's going to win. <laughs> It's going to win, like, at least one Yeah, it's going award. to win at least one award for an Asian actor in the film. And, of course, and this is what I made you guys look at before, an actor in that movie is in this movie, which is the great James Hong, which I when I realized this, like, he was in this movie, I was like, dang, our timing could not be better for this episode. <laughs> um, especially after um, the SAG speech he gave where he talked about him coming up in Hollywood. And it's like, yeah. He's in everything ever all at once with a big, I think he has the, I think he's the with and Jamie Lee is the ant. So it's like, he is, you know, now, now we all regard James Hong as a legend. What, what are you laughing Just at? Censor <laughs> me. <laughs> Jamie Lee. <laughs> well, James Hong made a joke. Girl. Like we can all appreciate about her. Anyway. Um, but um, it's really crazy to think that like, He's been around for this whole thing. And Justin, it's one of those things where I say, like, you know, when we watched um, Fanny that came out the same year and it's like he was in one of the first movies we covered here with Love Parade. Like how quick everything really does go if you look at things or rather how long people live that James Hong can be in this and be in everything everywhere in a pivotal role. It is. I do think it's really an accomplishment on his part, though, because he never had a huge starring role, but like everyone, I think, whether they know it or not, has seen probably at least two or three movies with James Hong. I think everyone in our generation has seen at least his cartoons. You know, like they've seen Mulan, they've seen Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's it's this thing where it's like he's held out. He is held out. And he talked about this in his speech from the time when uh, they were like, Asian people can't lead the movie. It has to be people in yellow face to now. And I'm not going to pretend like everything's good now. There's still a big racial disparity with what Hollywood makes across many lines. But he can now stand up on stage um, and like celebrate his his heritage and like you know and give part of his speech in Cantonese. And it's it was really cool to watch that watch that speech. Yeah, I my my thing with him is I. If, I think it was during the pandemic. Yeah, it was during the pandemic because a lot of Asian actors were pulling for it because of the big anti-Asian um, sentiment that was sweeping the U.S. at the time um, of why doesn't he have a walk, a star on the Walk of Fame? And I think he has the record actually for the oldest person to get a star on the Walk of Fame, you know, um, which is sad. But also it's like, you, you know, like as soon as they were like, why doesn't he have it? I was like, yeah, why doesn't he have one? <laughs> like, he clear, like, he clearly should have got one like... You know, because I always do it for promo of a movie. They clearly, I was like, clearly, Dream, DreamWorks could have gotten this for one of the Kung Fu Pandas, like to promote the movie, right? 
Because he was in his 80s when those movies came out still. He was old. He was already old when those movies came out. So, but I'm glad he has one now. And I hope, I remember saying, I think I might have even said this in the last time, last time we talked about the Oscars this year, I wish A24 had put together a campaign for him and rather than Jamie Lee Curtis as an overdue actor. Not that he should win for everything every role at once because it's not really, he doesn't do much in it. But it's like, if we can give, Jamie Lee Curtis a nomination for that movie. We could give James Hong one, right? <laughs> like, um, but hey, give him an honorary one next year. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Knock I on wood. Feel Knock on wood. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like this is such a pattern. Like, we can talk about the actors in this movie. We can talk about the actors in everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once. But it's like, I feel like. Asian actors in Hollywood, like, it's like they have to be the Asian actors in Hollywood. Like, like Disney Plus has this new show, um, American, American Born, Born Chinese, Chinese, and it has yeah. Michelle Yeoh, Ki Hu Kwan, Stephanie Chu. Like, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and like Michelle Yeoh was in Crazy Rich Asians, and and like, she was in Shang-Chi. Like, they got, they, they Shang-Chi. Call it for Shang-Chi. <laughs> and it's like, um, yeah, we didn't even mention Shang-Chi. <laughs> Well, um, I said after Crazy Because I said after Crazy Crazy Right. Work. So there's been that one. There was a movie last year called Easter Sunday that had a fully Filipino cast, I believe. Um, hopefully, hopefully I'm not just putting my massive foot in mouth and got that nationality. I feel like it is though. Um but, but then you have actors like you have actors like Constance Wu and you have actors like like and they're like, we don't want to be pigeon and like Aquafina for better or worse, if you agree with what she's saying, but um, like you have actors that are like, we don't want to be pigeonholed into this type of role, and we have all seen how people have treated Constance Wu. Like it's pretty insane. I gotta Constance Wu. I gotta gotta give my plug. She's great in La La Crocodile. And you know what? That movie, her race does not play. Like you know what I mean? It's not like she's playing the Asian in that. But she wants you know to I mean? play those types of roles, and it's like when she said that, which she didn't go about it the best way. But when she said that, people were like, "Do you remember when she was so ungrateful?" She was great in Hustlers, by the way. She should have got more buzz for that movie. In general, Hustlers is a good movie that no one talks about. I also was thinking, when you were saying this, I remember, I, I wish I had the link to the interview, because it was, you know, when Everything Ever All At Once came out, there were all these articles about Michelle, interviews of Michelle Yeoh, and like old interviews of Michelle Yeoh resurfacing. And there was one she gave at the time of Crazy Rich Asians, where they asked her, like, what do you think about this being the first movie since the Joy Luck Club to have a mostly Asian-American cast? And what do you think about Constance Wu? And she said something like, I wish I could have been Constance Wu's role when I read the script. I wish this movie had been out when I was her age and I could have had this role. And I was like, dang, like, like that just feels so real to me. Like, because of course, because Michelle, like, I, as I said, I just watched Crossing Tiger, Hidden Dragon earlier this week. She's 30 in the movie. She would have crushed um, the main role in Crazy Rich Agents. Well, and like, also came out in like the 2000s during the rom-com, like, you know, rom-coms were huge in the early 2000s. Well, another story is originally that Daniel's Evelyn Wong's character was going to be named Michelle. And she was like, you're not going to name this character after me because I'm not this character. Well, Shades of Fern. Uh, you remember Chloe Zhao? I, I think about that like, actually quite a bit when Chloe Zhao is like, and this is our Fern. And Fern, Francis was like, no, I'm not. Don't call me that on stage. My name's Francis. I, I was reading that article too earlier today, but she was like, I don't think that, well, I, the way she flushed out more was like, I think that's unfair to Evelyn that people won't, won't have an Evelyn. They would just have me. 
like they should have this character they can aspire to that isn't just me playing myself or like a ver- like you know like a version of myself in another universe this should be her own thing which hopefully she won't last <laughs> like you know um but we probably should talk about flower drum song even though i'm sure we will still talk about you know the, how it relates to everything crazy rich asians joy luck club even though i've never seen joy luck club you know i'm sure these will all come up again throughout this conversation but what'd you guys think of flower drum song well, you know, I I hate that we have this conversation about how important this movie is and how like it has a legacy today. Cuz it's just kind of a it's a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. Yeah. And it's fine, <laughs> I guess. But, you know, like I don't I don't dislike Rodgers and Hammerstein, but like they're pretty their their stories are pretty basic they're they're you're gonna go home happy at the end of them and you're not gonna get too worried about the characters that doesn't always make for the most fun viewing experience are you an anti-sound music person no i love sound music but i think you know king and i oklahoma you know they're all basically uh, the same movie you know and we'll we'll i don't want to talk about this quite yet but I told Sarah, I don't know if you actually looked at it, but I was like, yo, this is crazy. If you read the Wikipedia page for the musical, they restaged it in 2002 with a completely different plot. Like, absolutely no similarities at all, except that it repurposed the songs and their names. Um, but I'm like, someone should do that and, like, fix The King and I. <laughs> like, I feel like they have tried to. I feel like they have. They've, I feel like well, they, they should have. film a fixed version of the King and I, I. You know what I mean? Like, I, here's the thing. I really, I really do recognize that the King and I is bad, but I still like it, kind of. What about this? Because <laughs> that's that's the thing. Rogers and Hammerstein make made very likable stories with like just their fun watches. Well, Sarah, what what did you think of this movie? Um. I thought it was kind of, I mean, it was fine. It was, to me, this feels like such an old-fashioned movie. And I don't, maybe that's wrong to say because West Side Story came out the same year. I just feel like this is so, this is like something we would have watched like 10 years ago. It just feels like, it feels like Guys and Dolls to me, like repurposed. I, I agree. I agree with that on Guys and Dolls. What My, my pushback that I'm getting like, eh. The thing is to me is like, I hate because we just just all talk about this for like 10 minutes is like the thing that makes this different is that it does have a mostly Asian cast like that is what makes me be like oh this wouldn't have come out 10 years ago with a mostly Asian I'm surprised it came out in 1961 with a mostly Asian cast the same year as Breakfast at Tiffany's and West Side Story like you know like that's you know Breakfast at Tiffany's has an Asian character too well that's that's (laughs) why I'm referring to it that's why although I will say there is a note on the Wikipedia page I know it's about the production with casting of where um, there was a episode of Wagon Train where Arnold Stang wore yellow, had yellow face um, as a guest star. And they asked why, why'd you do that? Why'd you do yellow face on TV? And the reason was like, well, all of in this, I'm about to say a slur. I apologize. And the movie uses a slur a lot too. Um, all of Hollywood's oriental actors were busy making flower drum songs. And if Joe wants to bleep that, go right ahead. <laughs> <If> Joe, <laughs> so, but you know what I mean? Like, 
this I'm sure that might have been something Mickey Rooney would have said too. It's like, oh, they were all working on flower drums. Well, he nah, even nah. when it like I love Mickey Rooney, but even like right before he died, he was like, everybody loved it. Um, I have an opinion on this movie that I don't know if I'm allowed to have. Okay. Um, well, it's just that it's just that it's just that Lulu Wang has said something opposite of what I'm about to say. I feel like having all of these Japanese actors really detracts from the movie. I realize that there's this mentality where, well, you know, they all look the same, whatever. But I feel like. I know what a Japanese person looks like versus what a Chinese person looks like. I feel like the cadences of their voices is different. I just, to me, it just was strange. It was a strange decision for me personally. But Lulu Wang has said, as long as you're hiring Asian people, they can be whatever kind of Asian they want to be. I feel like this kind of, I don't want to say it because I don't agree with it, but I'm also just like, it's... I'm just impressed they had all Asians, you know. Like, I'm surprised well, I'm impressed there are no white not people. All, not but all that Asians. I, okay, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. There is one person who's not Asian in this movie. Um, who's in? There is one person who is in yellowface in this movie, and we will talk about her at some point. Um, but Kale, I saw you get really like antsy at me for a second. I don't actually. I do think you're right that this should be done with an all Chinese cast, of course. But it's something where I. Hate to be like I wasn't expecting better, <laughs> but like that's basically it. Is like I wasn't expecting them to get it right. So yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's better. It's better than doing an all white cast. <sighs> Which I was thinking about it, like how many high schools do, or I, I doubt they do this anymore. But like high schools used to always put on Oklahoma because it's a big cast and it's like a. One that the parents will go out and see and whatever. Do sexy Oklahoma. Do it. I'm really, <laughs> I wonder how many like all white high schools did flower drum song. Well, the wiki for the musical says that it kind of um disappeared because the movie, this movie, um, I don't know if contemporary it did, but it seems like there always was a discussion around it. Is, is this racist? You know, like, like very much like, are these stereotypes type of thing? Which is why I said in 2002, when they revived it, they had a completely different script for it. Um, which to me is like, I was reading, I'm like, this is crazy. Like how different this is. But it's like, they tried to fix it. You know, <laughs> like it's Well, like, apparently <laughs> even like the movie was much more sympathetic to these people then of course than of course, the course Rogers and Amberson made something worse than this that's not I'm not too surprised but it's like of course um but um hold on I was actually gonna look at that section for rock fork at the changes um but yeah oh yeah they're suicide in the the novel yes anyway uh <laughs> Not the novel of the leads. The novel seems pretty different. <laughs> well, the novel, yeah, the novel seems very different in tone to me. It seems like that's more of a drama. I didn't give my take on this movie. Um, it's too long. <laughs> like a lot of these musicals. Um a part of it though, a lot of it it sounds weird to put like that, but it's like how when I watch Black Panther, right? And 
even though I'm white, I'm still like moved by the fact that these there's this big lavish set that is being given to black actors that isn't normally seen. Um, and by that, I mean, it's like the dream ballet in this. There was a part of it where I just thought like, these are all Asian actors like doing the like a crazy dream ballet like I see in other musicals in 1960. And I was just kind of moved by that. So and basically what I'm saying is, to me, the representation makes this worthwhile. It's basically all it comes down to. Because um, I was getting kind of annoyed with it around the 50-minute mark. Of just like, I, this story is not grabbing me anymore. I just feel like the other two movies, people only, and especially if we're talking about Asian representation, I feel like people talk about the other two movies. I, do, I feel like people are not talking about this. I feel like the bad I, I did see overshadows the good. Well, people are talking about it now because of James Hong. But yeah, I would I would agree. I think this is a movie that's kind of buried the time. I remember when we made a my me and Sarah have a private list that Caleb's not allowed to see of every movie we will cover on this podcast. And I remember seeing this and being like, ooh, that one looks rough. A musical I've never heard of that's Rogers and Hammerstein that has an all Asian cast. Ooh, that's probably not gonna be a good one. Um but then well, actually, no, I didn't even, I just saw the poster, so I assumed it was Yellowface, you know, because of the time. So, to me, it was like, oh, wow, this actually does have a mostly Asian cast. Um, but, yeah, the movie, it, the movie's fine. It has good elements, it has bad elements, like any musical. It just kind of, kind of averages out to probably should get a two and a half, but I was, I liked enough of the actors, and I just thought, I was thinking about those stories you always hear, where it's like, for movies that have a majority, like Black, like, Shang-Chi, like, um, Black Panther, like, Crazy Rich Asians, where you hear about these actors on set being comfortable with like other people, like other black people or other Asian people on set, where it's like we don't usually see these many people on set everywhere. And I was thinking about that in like I know Caleb, you're gonna say behind the camera there wasn't much, which is true. But I was even you're thinking very, you're very perceptive. <laughs> but I'm saying that even like the scene where it's like Nancy Kwan and um, um, Sammy, and they're all dancing with other Asian actors, and I'm just like, this was probably like a really cool day on set for them, you know. And I was curious because yeah, um, I had a DVD out from the library and they have this DVD has so many bonus features on it because it took them a while to put it out because I think they were worried about the cultural context. So they had like all these like, here's how this movie was made. This is the cultural context. We have a documentary of Nancy Kwan. So we have a commentary of Nancy Kwan and a film historian, an Asian film historian talking about it. So, but yeah, I was kind of curious to dig into it, but I didn't have time, obviously. But sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I think... I don't want to say that there isn't a conversation to be had around the representation in this movie. I don't think that we are the three people yes, to have that conversation. I would agree with that. <laughs> and, and I did look up to see what kind of the contemporary idea was. And I found an article around the time crazy rich agents came out. That was kind of, that was kind of looking back at this movie and it was, it was like, yeah, some of it's stereotypical. Some of it's not, some of it's impressive for the time. Some of it's outdated. Yeah. It's just it. It's a shame that it's a historically important movie that also is just not very interesting. <laughs> like I, the plot. I, I hate to be like this, but I feel like that's a lot of historically important Hollywood. Movies. Hollywood. Movies. That's a lot. That's a lot of the movies we've watched on this on this podcast. <laughs> like a movie like Crossfire was considered important at the time, right? So it's like, or like, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I Morocco is the one I go back to. Morocco. Um, I'd have to open stuff up. I'd have to open up our page. But I'm sure there are a lot of early ones that's like, oh yeah, this groundbreaker, groundbreaking uh, movie. But it's really like, mm-hmm. it's it's fine. I know you guys would say the crowd belongs there, but 
Well, sorry, it's okay, Bobby. Um, but I, yeah. this is my take. This might be a controversial thing to say. I feel like 20 years from now, people are going to look at everything everywhere all at once and be like, this is such a product of its time. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at. We're like, I, I agree, but I saw, and I've, Caleb, Caleb, I know this is our podcast, so he's heard me cite this interview before. I read this interview that there was an event they did where Alejandra interviewed to um, Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Curon did like, you know, Bart, they were advertising Bardo and Pinocchio, and Curon was interviewing the other two, and everything ever all at once came out. And del Toro said something along the lines of, the thing about everything ever all at once, even if we don't totally get it, our children do. And this is the type of movie that made like makes people want to make movies. So even if we do view it as a product of our time, I do think we will be hearing like filmmakers five, 10 years, 15 years down the road say like, oh yeah, everything ever all at once expired. This. I don't think there will well, be a backlash at that generation of peep filmmakers I, who liked it. I mean, it's popular enough that it's going to get backlashed soon. It already has, it already has massive it backlash. It, it has backlash. Um, from I'm, me. <laughs> your four out of five rating is not a backlash. That's just a, it's good, but not great, which is not, I'm talking about the people I know who gave it like one and a half stars and said it was like the second worst best picture now, stuff like that, which are a decent, I know two or three people who are like that and like get mad when they see like, how come Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett deserve this? I'm like, well, Kate Blanchett has two of these already. So who cares? Uh, <laughs> I, I think you're right, sir. I do think it's definitely going to be, I'm not sure if it's like a product because to me, a product of its time doesn't even mean it's. Do you want know a product like of its time? That doesn't even. You know it's a product of its time? The Matrix. I hate that. Okay. Danny, let me finish my point. Sorry. I love sorry. you. Um, sorry. <laughs> I have to defend my precious, most, my precious movie that swept the Oscars last night, most likely, that no one gets. Sorry. But I think, I think we are going to get to the, like, it's this weird, like, little bell curve, I guess, where it's like, it'll be a product of its time. And people will look back on it in like 20 years and maybe there'll be some backlash to it because there's just a generational backlash. But then like 10, 15 years after that, the product of its time becomes like part of the charm. And I think, I don't know. I I just wonder, I wonder how the cycle of how we view things, because I watch like, you know, I'll watch a movie from the sixties like this and I'll, see like how how it was influenced by the politics or the culture or whatever around that time and that's that's gonna add to my enjoyment of the movie that's kind of my problem with flower drum song is i don't think it's saying too much about the 60s it's not saying too much about what it means to be chinese american like there's a little bit but like nothing that would be out of place in another rogers and hammerstein musical do you know what blew my mind about the revival is they cut the song about the the other generation. I was like, why would you cut that song of all songs from this to me? Um, I feel like that's like the most evocative song this gets to, to actually talking about the immigrant experience and growing up and having immigrant parents. I don't think anything else in this mu- musical ever touches like that dynamic. You guys are gonna be like, that song sucked. Um, <laughs> well, I didn't like the kids singing it. I liked their dancing. I didn't like them singing. Okay, that's fair. Their singing was whatever. I feel like I I agree. I feel like I hate to say like, well, we all know what Asian movies are like because that's not true. But 
I feel like they're especially in like these Asian American movies, the parental relationships are like so important. Um, and just like the cultural, like there's so many cultural things like like in Crazy Rich Asians when they play Mahjong and in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Like just so like there are things in these movies that are not sanitized. Like they're important in the movie and it's like you know that they're important and the movie doesn't like it explained it to you, but not in like a dumb way. And I feel like this was such a bare bones, like they are going to get married. And that was like the only like cultural thing in the movie. There's been a lot of, sorry, I want, I want to talk about the marriage too, but I want to respond to what you said about like the familiarities, which is there was a lot of writing both in March when both these movies came out and throughout the whole year from Asian writers about the, how turning red and everything ever basically tackled the same, like, like different, sides of the same relationship type of thing father I'm sorry mother daughter relationship with asian well i guess no yeah asian american because canada is part of america uh <laughs> but but um that's all i was thinking when you said that was like yeah there are like these direct parallels and i've seen critics everywhere like not not it sounds like when you say you write like critics write about like they're, they're criticizing it but no they're just like acknowledging like the familiar aspects but what I was going to say with the marriage is like, I think the, the, to me, once the plot starts, like once we find, once the plot becomes evident, cause it does take, and all these musicals, you know, it takes a while to be like, like Nancy Kwan is first built on this. And I was like, she's a lead. Is she, does this movie have a lead? I don't think it does. Um, um, but once the actual plot emerges, it's kind of like, Oh, this is what this is about. That's not nearly as interesting as I thought where this might be going, you know? Yeah, and like we haven't even synopsized the plot, which I think is fine because <laughs> it's the typical like this person loves this person, but they're supposed to love this person, but then there's also this person in the mix. It ends with a double wedding, there's a dream ballet near like the midpoint. It's kind of no, like it's not near the midpoint. Sorry, the dream ballet is not near the midpoint. I wish I'm glad it wasn't. It was very close. I'm sorry, it was very there's close. There's two the dream ballets. The one yeah, that matters, isn't it? You're right, you're right. But the one that matters is that near the end. It's just kind of that like Shakespearean comedy structure. Yeah, Midsummer, where else? Midsummer Night's Dream, Twelfth Night, whatever. The thing that frustrates me all always about those things, especially when movies or plays take from it now, because Shakespeare, you can be like, oh, it's Shakespeare, like it's fine. But the thing I've always noticed with these types of stories is they will spend so much time like setting things up and goofing off. And then they'll resolve the plot so quickly at the end and rush through the resolution. So there's no actual like catharsis involved. I'm not even saying like I need to cry at the end of this. I shouldn't have to cry at the end of this, but it's just like, oh, I came up with an idea to fix this. Oh, great. Perfect. Let's get married. The end appears. <laughs> I'm just like, you, you can't even go for all that. And that's like what you got for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's at least better than Oklahoma. There is no murder to resolve the plot. <laughs> Sexy Oklahoma. I still need to see it. My brother hated it. I like that I whenever I can bring up sexy Oklahoma and just get blank stares. I know about sexy Oklahoma. I got the night vision sequence. I feel like (laughs) as a romance, this movie was not good. On all counts. Well, there was actually one. (laughs) The dream, the dream ballet. 
the first one was very interesting. However, that character is never seen again. (laughs) That was so weird. She commits suicide off screen. Yeah. What I thought was, um, I like the, um, the second one, but that's just because of the like the Scooby Doo chase that happens. <laughs> Where it's like, what I was kind of watching, like, what is going on? I kind of appreciate that it's happening, <laughs> like, and like when the guys step out of the TV, I was like, this is this is so stupid. I enjoyed this. I thought the choreography and stuff was good. I mean, I really, I thought it was. I mean, eventually they did it for way too long, but. <laughs> But in all of the songs, I thought that they had very good choreography. Do we want to talk about the... Yeah, uh, there's... What, sorry, no, okay, go on. No, just there's also moments of, like, just good humor. Like when uh, I, one of them is an exotic dancer at a club, and she's dancing for in front of some people who she's not supposed to be dancing in front of. The reveal of that is a very funny scene. Yeah, but it's one of those things where... I hate to be like here's what here's my issue with the romance in it even though it, there's a problem with it anyway is i don't like who ends up with who like i really don't i think um i would rather the couples be switched well or, actually let me rephrase still... i would rather the owner of the nightclub not get married i think he's an asshole <laughs> like well it's very much i mean it literally is guys and dolls it's just you know it's it's uh i can't even remember their names it's uh what's his name? Spats is one of them. Are they guys, guys and dolls characters or guys and dolls? Characters? Is it Nathan Detroit? Is yeah, it's Nathan Detroit and Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Frank, I don't remember Frank Sinatra's, but it's Frank Sinatra and Adelaide and Sarah Brown and Marlon Brando. Those Sky are the Masters. couples. Yeah. Yeah, it's. And here's the thing, like, this is for, like, for a certain person who absolutely loves this kind of old style musical, this is a great hidden gem. Like, I think this is one that you probably haven't seen. It's got production value behind it. It's got good performances behind it. It is on par with uh, Guys and Dolls with uh, Oklahoma, and it just isn't as popular as those. So I think for a certain person... This is this would be a great watch. I also want to say that of the leads in this movie, and this might also have to be, I just didn't like Sammy, but I thought James Shigeta was really like he's not he's not you didn't like him? I thought he was, was so, so charming. Boring. He was so charming. I was like, I could watch so many different rom-coms with him. I was like, he should be like in some like it hot or something. You know what I mean? Like he should be in like these goofy comedies from there. Because he, he is a little too serious in this, but you can tell, like, watching him that, like, to me, he has, to me, he has charisma and screen presence. More so than the other, the other guy. The other guy to me is just, I, I was all about, I was all about Jack Sue as I did like I him. thought. He just seemed like thought, such a gangster to me. Well, yeah, he doesn't deserve a playing, girl at the end. That's the thing. No, like, no, not necessarily. But just like know. raw charisma, he was fun on screen. I, of all the things that he did, though, I don't know if he ever really did anything that he didn't deserve to end up with her. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. He was. I don't. Like I mean, him. he invited them to the night. That's what I mean. It's like but, that was you know, like, I don't like him. Yeah, but she pulled the whole thing where she got engaged, so it's whatever. Yeah, she's lying to that. She's lying the whole entire time too. 
Like he has his intentions aren't necessarily pure, but she, you know, it's not like her comeuppance is unwarranted. And I like the um I like the dynamic. This is gonna lead us into talking about the yellow face, but I like the dynamic between um Benson Fong and Juanita Hall's characters, who are the dad of our lead and his aunt. Or that's what I was trying to reference at the beginning of this. Like they always go, Hello, my sister's oh my sister's husband. Hello, my my wife's sister. So like, like that. Um that's what I was trying to reference earlier. I like their dynamic. They're a good comedic relief. I could have watched an entire comedy about them. It is too bad that the woman is in yellowface. Um, again, I just feel like, obvi- to me, it's obvious she's in yellowface. But also, just like her, like how, like how black people talk. Like they have a certain cadence to their voice, and it's this is actually a real problem in the film industry is that the mics do not always pick up their voices correctly. But that's a whole different issue. But she just doesn't. Like, she sounds like a black woman to me. Yeah, because Juanita Hall, um, her father was, her father was black. Um, her mother was Irish. Uh, so she should have been the, when they had the the little bunch, all the people representing the different countries, she should have been the person representing Ireland. But, um, yeah, and she, I'm not, it's not that she's bad. She's a talented actor, clearly. But, uh, you know, just you got so close, movie. You got so close. Well, it's because she was in the show, which is not. I'm that's not me going like, oh, this this was a good choice. It's just like this is how she ended up in this all otherwise all Asian cast. Well, well, she did it on stage. So let's just have her for this again. Kind of talking about what I was talking about earlier is that they did want to get an Asian woman. They wanted to get Anna Mae Wong, who was like arguably the most famous Asian oh, actress yeah, that at would the have time. Been, that would have been really great. But yeah, I know what. Go, go ahead. Well, I mean, she died before production started, but it is something where it's like nowadays, it's like, oh, we need an older, we need an older Asian woman. It's like you have a go-to. Yeah. Oh, that, I, I'm so curious what an older Anna Mae Wong performance would look like. In this type of movie, I think she, I think that would have made that dynamic work even more. Um, but, um, what do we think about the music? I know we've touched on like one or two songs, and we've touched on the choreography. But what about the? Rogers and thing? You know what I mean? Like it's it's what you said. Like I, I hate to be like dismissive of it, but it's like I think the catchy songs in this are usually the ones that have the more racist lyrics, like Chop Suey, which I think is really catchy, but like. I don't remember I don't like any of them. Well, I remember I enjoyed being a girl just because I I had like kind of clocked all the lyrics. It's like I don't think this song really flies nowadays, personally. You can't say uh, that anymore. You can't say you enjoy being a girl anymore. You'll get canceled. That's not what I meant. I, I guess I mean it maybe not have been the song, but in the intro, she's like, no, it's when she's in the car. She's like talking about gender and like why things are important for people to be the way like they're born or something like that. I was like, this is. I get this is 1961, but like side eyeing this combo right now. Yeah, it is. It is aggressively Rodgers and Hammerstein, which is I don't even want to say that's good or a bad thing. It's just a thing. Um, it's not as strong as their strongest stuff. It's probably not their weakest stuff. I like. I like. Don't marry me. I think that's just a fun. That's a fun. That's a fun song. Movie. Fun setup. Um, and I'm surprised. 
So. Yeah, I'm surprised the song that late in the movie caught my attention. Well, I think that song is good because that one's definitely aiming for be a more comedic number. Um, oh, I also wanted to say, because I made that comment, I do notice that on the Wikipedia page for I Enjoy Being a Girl is that a trans pioneer and activist named Christine Jorgensen performed this song in nightclubs regularly in the late 60s. So I guess it's it's tailor made yeah. for that. Like, it's except for that last line about catcalling. Also, that, there was a, that part a parody was very song weird. in 1998 <laughs> called I Enjoy Being Al Gore. <laughs> Sorry, I said to mention that before I closed that page. I enjoy being awkward. I'm just imagining this like I'm like lip sync for your life now. What? <laughs> it feels like such a RuPaul yeah. song. Um, I don't know. It's weird because I think the it's something where I was like the conversation around this movie is way more interesting than the movie itself. Um, I mean, here's what I'll say. Unfortunately, I think this movie was definitely overlooked and has been lost in time. I think that with however, whatever happens last night, um, (laughs) I think it could potentially enter the conversation again. I will say, especially as someone who is, especially as someone who finds women-directed movies to be, you know, very important to me. And when you look at, like, for example, like, Cocaine Bear, which is getting good reviews, but, like, people should be allowed to make bad things. People should be allowed to make okay things. And this is a little different because it was a white director, but the point is, like, not everything needs to be this pioneer. I feel like, as always, it goes back to from the podcast, Billy Eichner, who said that when bros bombed, that we weren't going to... I guess I shouldn't put words by I don't think he outright said this, but in the lead up to bros, he kind of implied, like, if this movie doesn't do well, they're not going to make any more of these types of gay movies. And it's like, that's just not accurate. <laughs> like, But I think he had a point if that movie came out, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But I think, but now, thankfully, I think we've got to the point where we can have like a bad, big budget. Like Chloe Zhao can make Eternals and probably still get a good project afterwards. You know what I mean? Well, and it goes it goes down to like the big problem studios have is that they're they're comfortable with doing one movie. Like we'll do one movie for black audiences. We'll do one movie for Asian American audiences. There's that movie Polite Society coming out that um, I'm looking forward to, but it's it's that like trailer was well, so disappointing to me. But go on, sorry. It, it looks like oh, Miss Marvel did well. We'll give one. Uh, the, the reason it disappointed me is because I heard about it and I was like, oh, that sounds so cool. Then I saw how the action is edited in the trailer and I was like, oh, never mind. This is like not John. This is like the one thing I want to look like John Wick action. It does not look like it. Sorry, go on. Uh, I hope that movie is good. Anyway, it just (laughs) like because because they're like people get to make one of these movies like every couple years, there is all this pressure for it to do well. Yeah. Like. I think, yeah, it's like how people were saying that with 
Sorry, you go, you go. I was about to repeat basically a point. So you go. Well, <laughs> I think obviously, I think it's easy to clown on Billy Eichner because I think being a, a white gay man is probably. I'm not saying that it's not hard, but on, on the tears, you know, it's not. It's not the worst thing in the world. I think that he, he's misguided. However, I maybe would want to push back on saying that Chloe Zhao could find another project because I think historically, and I'm not saying that we aren't progressing, but look at like Karen Kusama, look at, you know, like Kathy Yan, like these are really talented directors who will make a bomb or make a bad project. And then they're just totally lost in the, in the industry. So I think Billy Eichner is probably going to be okay, but I can kind of see where his fear is coming from. What I, I wanted to also say about bros in particular is it's not Billy I'm worried for. It's the uh, Luke McFarlane, who I know none of you saw that movie, but he's... Well, I've seen him in plenty of well, Walmart Christmas movies. But he's very funny in bros. It was something where I saw him. I was like, oh, man, like, this guy should be in everything, you know? Um, Just well, stern on Hallmark. <laughs> you know I, what I, I mean? Think... <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I think the problem was that, like, Billy Eichner talking about bros came off very much like a... Like a... Movie shouldn't feel like home. People people getting mad at people for not voting and acting like that's the sole reason why, 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 you know, uh, an ideal candidate didn't win. It's like, why are you spending all your energy getting mad with people who are on your side? And I just... I, I said this very briefly when you were talking and I shouldn't interrupt. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm so interrupting tonight. I think I'm more so than usual. Um, but I think the issue with bros was also, it was kind of marketed like you have to see this movie to be a good progressive. You know what I mean? And that's <laughs> like, you know, like it, that's not how diversity, like, like black Panther wasn't like advertised. Like you have to see this to support black people. No, it wasn't like, that's not how it was. Just, this is a cool superhero movie. Or same with Shang-Chi. That, like, those are how those movies were marketed. I feel like, bro, this is such an off-topic thing. I feel like bros... <laughs> like, we're the bros cast. Every week we talk about bros. <laughs> they could have marketed it only to gay people. And I feel like they want... Like, I'm not... Like, like you have something like Love, Simon, which is, like, accessible. Like, this is... It's got Jennifer Gardner in it. And it's, like, it's something that people want to go see. And I feel like if if he was like, this is for gay people only, I feel like that would have been so much more successful. Well, I think also like, well, no, but I think that was like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have the, the marketing for bros in front of me. That movie was, but I think what bros has always been and talking about, because you know how he's like, this movie has to do well. I look and I never saw this movie, even though I meant to. It's been on my watch list all year. But I look at the reaction to Fire Island. I think Fire Island would have done better with bros. Because I saw like everyone talk about Fire Island for a couple weeks when it was out. Because and gay then, people watched it. But also, no, but the thing also, we'll be honest, Bo and Yang is way more likable than Billy Eichner. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I will go see a movie that Bo and Yang leads. I'd be very curious. I like him from the bits I've seen of him on SNL. Billy Eichner is like, I would watch you if you did like a Borat-esque movie where you're just on the street, street screaming at people. Like... That to me is fun, but Bo and Yang, give him a blockbuster. Sure thing. Have we exhausted flower drum song? <laughs> I think we have a, you know, like there's a couple rules on the internet. Where like 
once you reach to invoking like Hitler in an argument, once you reach to invoking, invoking like someone else in an argument, I think we should have rolled this podcast out. Once we reach to talking about bros again, that's where we're like, okay, all right. I do have one more point. It's not about bros. It is about this movie. (laughs) Um, I do wonder, this is going to sound bad when I say it, but it's not meant to sound bad. It's just kind of meant to be about the industry. If West Side Story was a Latino cast or a Hispanic cast, would it have been as successful? And you cannot look at last year's West Side Story because that's a completely different era. But would we have seen, and I, you know, the only Oscar winner or one of the, one of the Oscar winners was <laughs> the, the only Latino person in the movie, but would it have been this phenomenon that it was? I mean, it still would have had the Jets would have still all been white. Well, so it would have had that to help. I like, think, yeah, recast Natalie Wood, please. But well, I think Sarah, what you just said is very much like also where I'm at with um, why I found it kind of moving just to see like these Asian actors dancing because I know in the same year, you know, as my, I love. I think the old West Side Story is better than the new one personally, even with the brown face aspect of it which obviously does bother me when i watch west side story but i still think west side story the old one is much better um but the fact that this movie came out the same year and actually bothered to cast the right actors for the role for the most part and apparently the only now in a way now i want to give the movie a not not a ton more credit but a little more credit for that they tried to get someone else and they just died right before filming. So they got the actor who knew the role, I assume. I Maybe that's me assuming too much of this cat. But the fact, really, is just like, if everyone else in here is Asian, why isn't she? And it's like, oh, she knew the role, I guess. If this exists in the same year as that, in the same year as Breakfast at Tiffany's horrible... Which, in Breakfast at Tiffany's, it literally, you could just take the, all of that out. I love Breakfast at Tiffany's. That character is so far removed from the rest of the movie. Yeah. It really is just. I yeah. feel like to answer my question and then we can wrap up. I promise. Okay. I don't know because I think this movie has been sort of lost to time. And it is. I mean, you do have to keep in mind this movie is mediocre <laughs> versus West Side I was going to say, I think West Side Story's <laughs> core story and music is way better than this. Right. <laughs> I do wonder. I just, I guess it's kind of a what if. Like, can you imagine how culturally important? And West Side Story is culturally important for the wrong reasons, but like how much of an impact in the same way that something like West Side Story. And, you know, just to think about if this movie had been more successful, if West Side Story had been different, would they be, would West Side Story even win Best Picture? Who knows? Well, and would, let's say this movie was successful, would we start getting movies with all Asian casts? Maybe. But they wouldn't have been high profile and it probably wouldn't have lasted very long because there are just a lot of other cultural forces at work. I think about to bring it back to everything ever all at once one last time is the story that I think says Michelle Yeoh, we've talked about a lot in this podcast, I think more so than who I'm about to mention is, of course, Kehi Kwan and how he was basically pushed out of Hollywood because there were no roles for him. And how that's like I during my Brendan Fraser movie marathon, I got to I don't know if it's his last credit, but it's one of his last credits, which is an Encino Man, where he plays, of course, the captain of the chess club computer club. 
um, at the high school. But like watching that and being like, well, he still like clearly has a presence talking in this. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, like, I hate to be like, you can tell this child actor is great, but you can tell watching his child actor movies, he's a good charismatic actor. And then when you I see love, him, role, I love Temple of Doom. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't like Temple of Doom, but I like him in it. Um, and I, it's same thing with Goonies. I don't like the Goonies either. And I, but I like him in it. But it's just like then you know when you walk into everything all at once, and everyone's like, I had no idea he had it in him. It's like, well, of course he did. He just, I, I was talking to a mutual friend of all of ours, Julius, back when, um, I think during the Globes when Kei Kwan won his first. Like award, like major award of the season, and we all know the Globes suck. But their response was kind of like, and I think Sarah, you've actually said this similarly earlier on in the award season too. Just didn't word it this way: is he should be getting the lead actor Oscar, even if you don't think he's the lead. Just to even even that won't make up for the years we've been robbed of seeing him perform. And it it, it sounds so bogus for us, but like I was robbed of seeing this man perform. But I think he was robbed of a great life, and we were all. There's so much joy in that performance that you could see it. But that's... You could just imagine how great he would have been in movies for over the last 20, 30 years. But that's what he is saying. That's what Michelle Yeoh is saying. They're saying... That's what James Hong says. Like, yeah. these are, like, they... I fully the, support the these... extreme example. I fully fun. support these actors being like, yeah, we're amazing in, the, in these roles. Where have you been? Like, yeah. because... Like, it sucks. It's, like, he is so good in that role. And it's, like, and he's, I mean, he's in these iconic roles, but it's, like, two of them are when he's a child. Well, and, and then, I mean, I'll, I I will get super, I'll be super negative about this. I don't think he's going to have a career after this. I, like, I think he might, like, get a couple, like, one or two roles in, coming off this. He's in Loki season two, and he's voicing a character in a Chris Pratt so it'll be um, a Disney Netflix show movie. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I want to be short around again. I'm like, good on you. But I, I'm because if he wants to be short around again, good, let him let him. But like, if I see people be like, oh, yeah, this guy needs to be short around again. Who are like, you're not him. Like, I don't want to see anyone else like being like, just please be short around again. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, it just comes down to it's like, will he have a career? Maybe. Will it be like a James Hong career where he's extremely talented? And he gives a lot of good performances, but he never gets to lead anything. Yeah, I think that's that's how this is gonna go. Just like how almost everyone in Flower Drum Song just yeah, you know, they appeared hate, on a couple episodes of MASH or something. And I hate to like make this bigger than like I mean I don't hate to make, but it's this is endemic with every race in Hollywood. Ariane DeBose, after winning the Oscar last year, has only been an Apple TV plus show. Well, like you can take her Oscar away as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay. But or like Lupita Nyong'o did not get a leading role until 2019, 6 years after she won the Oscar. That's insane. And since us, she's only had like the 355 and Black Panther appearances. Well, and I also think and I was thinking about this earlier like it's kind of like, you know, this movie did or will or may win all of these awards and then see in 15, 20 years when there's another one. Yeah. Like maybe we'll like, that's the whole thing is to me where it's like, that's my whole thing. I've said every time with Kate Blanchett versus Michelle Yeoh is like Kate Blanchett has been here before. She'll be here again. Michelle Yeoh will never get a role like this again. 
it's I hate to be like it. I hate to say that, but I really don't see her getting a role like this ever again. And I think she knows it too. Like she said that in her. I love her being like, I want to win. <laughs> like, and she should say it. She should want to win. She deserves to win. She, she is an iconic act. She should be up there. She should be in roles like Meryl and Kate Blanchett. You know, like she should be getting those roles and she doesn't. It's like another actor who, not Asian, but like Angela Bassett. This is her first nomination since like the ni- early 90s. That's well, insane. And even and, to, <laughs> and like Viola Davis has said, she has said like, I should be having, I should be getting Meryl's roles. And it's like, people should be allowed to say that. Like, it's just, it's just a, an insane thing that is not acknowledged. And I, I hate to go after your boy here, Austin Butler, but like he's probably good. He probably won yesterday. Maybe he did it, but he probably did if Brendan Fraser won. I personally do not believe that he will ever be up there again. Let him have this. I could see him being being a supporting nom. Again, I don't think he'll lead him a again. But (laughs) Daniel Deadweiler, Daniel Deadweiler gave the second, to me, obviously this is my take. My opinion doesn't really, it's just an opinion. But a lot of people will agree with me that Daniel Deadweiler until was a phenomenal performance. A young black actress didn't get an Oscar nom for Best Actress. The reason I bring all this is if Michelle Yeoh won yesterday, she is the second woman of color ever to win Best Leading Actress after Holly Berry and Monster. And Holly Berry said after she won, she didn't get any roles until Catwoman. And we know how that ended up. (laughs) Yeah. And this is why you need directors of color, writers of color, producers of color, because, and, you know, once you get into the technical side, you need a cinematographer who knows how to shoot them. You need a sound person who knows how to like record them because they need, they need people who will value their work. I'm thinking of like how Spike Lee put it, Ozzie Davis and Ruby D into his films until they passed. Like those were two amazing actors who never got like any credit. And luckily he came along and he was able to give them like just two or three really great performances to add on to their already great careers. And we need, we need more of those. And that's what James Hong and everything ever is kind of like, but there's this beautiful piece in um, the LA times that came out right after the Oscar noms that Robert Daniels wrote um, about women, black women not getting nominated this year, not just about Daniel Deadweiler and Viola Davis missing, but like, where why is Till not nominated for costume design? Why why is it not even considered for costume design a movie like Till? Why is Woman King not in visual effects or score or costume design? Why is there only why is there only room for Black Panther Wakanda Forever among the black films this year nominated? Like you know what I mean? I feel like I might have forgot a movie in there that's kind of embarrassing, but I don't know if I did or not. But why why do and the thing is it's you can't say that these movies don't exist because movies like Till and Woman King do exist that get 95% flutter on tomatoes. Everyone who sees them, Till didn't do well at the box office, but that Woman Talking didn't do well at the box office either. You know what I mean? I don't want to go back to Woman Talking because that's like the only movie directed by a woman that's nominated for Best Picture this year. But like movies that don't get, uh, do well at the box office always get nominated for the Oscars. The issue, the issue is also the push behind these movies and the what campaigners do. I, I remember Sarah and I will, Sarah will remember how pissed I was, and I think you were with me here, that Sony did not campaign A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood much at all. And Fox Searchlight did not campaign Can You Ever Forgive Me much at all. Because these movies are 
well-liked. You can tell the acting branch likes them because right. Melissa McCarthy and Tom Hanks both got nominated for both those movies and Richard E. Grant. But you can tell the acting branch likes these movies, but nowhere else are these movies getting campaigned, it looks like. And it's like, in both cases, it's like Sony's like, well, we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Little Women. Or like for Fox Search, like, well, we have the favorite. We got to focus on the favorite. And it's like, no, like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it, I mean, it, it is. I mean, <laughs> and those are movies, like, I want to point out, these are movies, if a movie by a white woman that's as well reviewed as Can You Ever Forgive Me and um, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood can only get, like, a Tom Hanks nom or, like, a nom for adapted screenplay and two acting noms. What, what chance do women of color have? Other than Chloe Zhao, because she came out in a pandemic year. Like, it's... Right. And it's something well, even, where you're like, yes, Caleb, you're right, but the issue is also just the system. You know, like, you're entirely right that we need to have more directors making this, but the issue is also these systems need to be revitalized. Just adding international voters isn't going to help because international means European. So, like, and then you get nine nominations for all, which I like. I like Alcoa on the Western Front, but nine nominations for that's the European block voting. Like, it's it's a problem with the well, system, <laughs> too. And and what I guess to like spin it around to something that like you know we can do. Like I I don't you know the three of us who are yeah. the, the ten people listening to this we can't do much. But there's always going to be directors of color telling their stories. You just have to go out and find them. And like I've been making an attempt. Uh, you know, on my letterbox, they give you the four movies you've watched recently. I've been making the attempt of one of those has to be directed by a woman and one of those has to be directed by someone of color. And I've watched a lot of good movies that I just wouldn't have prioritized if I hadn't done that. And I think that that obviously helps get those stories have more exposure. But also just, man, it gives you a lot of interesting uh, viewing experiences you wouldn't normally have. Yeah. I mean, even on Letterboxd, I think it's just a paid feature. <laughs> Sorry if you don't pay for Letterboxd. But, like, they have a map. They have, I mean, here's all the countries, or here's all the co- movies from countries that you've seen. Like, even just expanding your horizon a le- They have a way. language bar, too. So, yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah. I just, yeah. I mean, and people, there's always this argument, like, well, I don't care who made it as long as it's good. And it's like, that's fine. But other people do care. <laughs> and... Oh yeah, and no one's no one's saying that, like by saying all this, that white people can't make good movies. Um, it's just that they're not the only ones who can make good movies. It it would be nice at some point to get a black director to win best director. That that'd be great to happen at some point. Um, <laughs> um, but also, I think about to wrap this up and get it back to Flower Drum Song. I think about probably how cool yesterday was. Knock on wood. As far as we know, this is coming like after the day. This is gonna Trump be like horrible. Like I'll find the front with this picture. <laughs> Our like, next snub club movie. Everything <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> like I don't think it's gonna happen, but it'd be really. This would be a really awkward episode. If we put it out. It's like they don't know what's coming. Uh, but again, I'm confident that at least one person will win. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> Well, like, we're the academy with Chadwick. <laughs> the the thing with that though, it's, uh, I pay attention to the race. I I think 
like the person who could beat air quotes K Kwan yesterday was Barry Keegan, which I cannot see happening. When Brendan like, Gleason you know, is in the same movie. But so. Brendan Gleason didn't win at BAFTA. That's the point, is like it would have to be BAFTA pushing them over. And so the BAFTA block is going for Barry in that movie, I guess. So that's that's all I'm saying is like. Um but anyway, um as cool as yesterday probably was, and as cool as Parasite winning probably was, and as cool as Moonlight pro- winning was, like that's that's three winners out of that's three best picture winners out of uh ninety five, um, and one of them we don't need to talk about Moonlight, you know, like everyone knows how that win was robbed of its meaning in a way, and we don't need to talk really about um. You know, Parasite, because Parasite, as cool as it was, it's not an Asian-American, it's not an African-American story, it's not an Asian-American story. Because I do think, in a way, sorry, I get what you're saying about, like, broadening your horizon. I do think that's good, but I do think it's also, like, we need to also look at, like, people like Lulu Wong, like, The Farewell, that's another movie I didn't mention, didn't get any nominations, even though, like, because 824, this this infuriated season, that season they chose to push a movie that never had a shot, which was Uncut Gems, like... Hopefully yesterday was really cool. <laughs> like, hopefully. <laughs> but Sarah, what was the uh, first... enough about? Yeah. What were you gonna say? You go ahead. You can. Just I was just gonna say enough about uh, yesterday's Oscars. Let's go back and talk about 1962's Oscars. Sarah, what was the? Remind us what the first ever all mostly mostly sorry mostly, mostly. Asian mostly. Hollywood movie was nominated for. Um, best art First direction. Only for 30 years. Sorry, go on. Sorry. Best art direction, color. Not, well, yeah. I mean, I was going to say not 30 years because, but. No, Joy Luck Club was 30 years. Yes, but it wasn't nominated for any Oscars. Oh, no. I was um, saying it, Jonah. Sorry. Best cinematography, color. Best costume design, color. Best scoring of a musical picture and best sound. My choice is might be a little cliche because I feel like I know Caleb, you kind of have your actress bubble. I think I have my production design bubble, but I do think the production design in this is often like I was like, whoa, that's well, not even just the dream sequence. I was like, the, the apartments are beautiful, the restaurant is beautiful, the exteriors are beautiful. I just thought it was a really well shot. No, and it's well shot, it's not well shot. They're really nice, elaborate sets that are stylized enough to be cool, really play into the roles. So I go, I go with. Production design. Art direction, sorry. It's called art direction in the 60s. Um, I'm trying to think of how I want to play this. I'll give it art direction. I, uh... Wait, no, I'm not going to. I'm giving it costume design. <laughs> I oh, thought wait. the costumes were very good. I'm going to give it uh, best scoring for musical picture. I know I kind of ragged on Rodgers and Hammerstein. They make good music, though, is the thing. It's kind of... <laughs> it's. I'm ready for something new, but it's good for when I have to have to eat it. I don't know why I said eat it there. That's weird. <laughs> All right. So what would you add as a nom? I think, you know, I don't... I'm not surprised that none of these actors got nomination because that's you know hollywood um 
But I think I'll, I'll go with Jack Sue uh, for best supporting actor. I know you didn't like him, Danny, but I thought no, he was just really I'm fun. I'm chuckling because I think you, you, you put him wherever you want. I think there's an argument that he's lead. So you put him wherever you want. So. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick a lead in a in a big ensemble cast like this. So I think I'll, I'll safely say supporting. Um, I'm going to give a visual effects because I thought that, well, yeah, I want to say visual effects. I was going to say maybe editing, but visual effects, I think, fits more. There's some crazy stuff happening in this movie. <laughs> um, I'm also going to go with supporting actor, but for a, the reason I was also chuckling when you gave him supporting actor, because I'm giving it to a much more supporting role than him. I'm giving it to Patrick Adi, Adiart. Ariarte? I should look up how to pronounce his name. Um, but he plays the younger brother of the lead. And I thought he was fantastic. He's only in the dancing movie for about, was really good. His dancing's great. I love his song. Um, the song with the kids that I wanted more of that you didn't like. Um, I love the bit during the chop suey sequence where he just shows up and sings a couple lines of a bar, and then he also dances in that scene too. He was one of those things where it's like, dang, like this guy, I wish he was in so many different musicals. I just completely shined whenever he was on screen. Wanted to see more of him. Very sad to see this is the biggest role he ever had. He was in The King and I as well, but. Well, he's really, I maybe I'll watch that someday. I don't know, but he was very good here. Hey, Danny. Yes. What are we watching next week? Let me tell you. Please tell us. I'm desperate to know. All right. Next week. Before we watch anything, we will talk about what happened last night. We will find out if this entire episode was for naught. And we were all talking about this great thing that didn't actually happen. Or we'll talk about how great it was. That's why I kind of kept it close to the tooth. I didn't talk about it too much. (laughs) I don't think I ever said that one. (laughs) I well, I refer to there were three great best picture winners at one point. So, like, so, but okay. But after we break that down, and of course, what we will be covering in however many years, we will talk about the only entry from the 35th Academy Awards that had seven nominations and no wins. Are you guys ready to? This hear one's about? kind of a classic. Is it? I'm actually unsure so. if this is the classic one because I've heard of it. And also, um, can I have a drum roll, please? All right, we'll be covering Lewis Milestones' Mutiny on the Bounty. This is not the Mutiny on the Bounty I believe is well known because on Letterboxd, this one has 6.5 views, and the one from 1935 has 16k views. 6.5. 6.5. Somebody turned it off halfway through? 6.5K. You know what I mean? Like, the other one has double the views. This is the remake of Marlon Brando. From 1962. Panned by critics, the film was a box office flop. (laughs) I will say, interesting connection to yesterday's Oscars, too, is this is a very late film by Lewis Milestone. Do you know what Lewis Milestone's most famous film is? The one best picture and relates to a best picture now. Sarah, do you know? Yes, because I'm looking at Wikipedia. Oh, Caleb, can you guess if it relates to a Best Picture now? Best Picture winner, probably. Yeah. Well, no, I'm saying 
Best picture. You say okay. Double yeah, best picture winner. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It won best picture last night, right? That's what won last night. Yeah, we're not gonna knock on wood this time. Uh, that definitely won last night. Um, yes, it's all quite on the Western Front. <laughs> Thank you uh, for being kind and rewind making a video about it, so I knew the name. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a very late Lewis Malston movie because that movie came out in nineteen thirty. All quiet. So this is nineteen sixty-two, and this. Yeah, we'll be talking about Uni on the Bounty next week. The remake. I'm Andy Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Blackbox. Gossels from Podcast. Looking for the ocean. The Pixar journey. Journey about Pixar. We look for it. Great times. I am Caleb Bone. You can find me at Caleb from the real world. I have a bunch of podcasts. But you know... I kind of feel like after this episode, I should shout out like a podcast with an Asian host since, you know, that's what this episode was about. So check out Chapel Probation. It's uh, it's about like wacky uh, private Christian universities. And it's it's pretty entertaining and also depressing at the same time. I'm immediately going to check the podcast. I follow to see who they, which one has an Asian host. Sorry. Also, thanks to our editor, Joe. Thanks, Joe. I'm laughing because I'm laughing. No, I'm laughing because I'm like, why am I have to think about this? I just guessed it on a podcast that I follow that has an Asian American host, and that is Committed Critics. So, I'm sorry, Kevin. I probably should have shouted you out instead. (laughs) I like, oh, duh. Of course, I listen to one of an Asian American host. Um, Yes, Committed Critics. I'm guessing on that pretty soon. Actually, I think that episode might already be out because he told me it was going to come out before the Oscars. So check that out. I guest on it and talk about my favorite theatrical experiences. And Sarah, where can we find you? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't follow any Asian people. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, you can find me on Letterboxd. My name, Sarah Kanoff. Um, actually, no. I mean, last year I did. I did my femtober, and I did. I think three uh, Asian American directed films, and I always do foreign Asian films as well. So you can look back in the archives for that. Um, also, Instagram sgk twenty nine essge ky twenty nine. You can find us on Facebook, the Stump Club, uh, Instagram Stump Club Podcast, and Twitter Stump Club Pod. I was yeah. about to do the full rap. That's gonna be my outro. <laughs> Your full rap. Why don't, why don't we do the? Why don't, why don't we do our outro as the BAFTA rap? That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm gonna do it. Oh, do it, do it. I forgot the Go words. Ahead. Hang on. I forgot <laughs> the words. Him, you texted them to me last. Week I know. Ready. I forgot the word. It's like, uh, who does it start with? Hong Chao. Hong Chao. Dolly D. Dolly D. <laughs> Carrie and Carrie with the C. Um, I like that it starts out with the Asian actors. It's a, you know, <laughs> that, that, that Dame process. Emma, I'm so fond. Anna, girl, you were great and blonde. Uh, is this? I think this is it. Go Angel- on. Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett. D- the thing. Viola <laughs> Davis. My woman king. <laughs> Blanche Kate, you're a genius. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie Lee, you are all of us. All of us. <laughs> Caleb's just like, what is this? I have a headache. It's so late. (laughs) All right.
We will catch you with Beauty on the Bounty, where Marlon Brando will do the thing. I think. Bye. <laughs>